So I want to begin. I'm going to ask you to pull the sheet out. It should be in the, you should have gotten this when you came in. And uh, this is really good news because what it says is for the first time that I can remember in a long time, maybe ever, uh, it's probably not ever, but in a long time, uh, our giving is at budget level, which is, like I said, it's very rare. Um, we've never spent towards budget. We've always spent towards what giving was. In other words, we never felt like it was just like your own home budget. We never felt like it was okay for us to overspend what the giving was for hope, which meant we had to limit what we did. We had to limit ministry. We had, had to put things off, and we had to kind of manage things like that. The good news is that the giving is at budget at this point. I think there's a number of reasons why that's happening. One of them is that you folks are giving sacrificially. You're giving generously. You're giving, and, and I know you don't give to a church. You don't give to an organization. You're really giving to God. And uh, I just want to say thank you for that. That's, that's really encouraging to me. I think the other reason that that's happening is that many of you are giving reoccurring. You're giving online. You, you basically made a plan and said, I'm going to give on a regular basis uh, through direct deposit or monthly deduction, uh, regular reoccurring gifts. And you've done that. And we have about 45% of our people that are giving that way. And that absolutely makes a huge, huge difference. Because you know what's happening right now? Right now, and we're seeing it in the kids' club, is club sports start, and the kids aren't there. And, you know, we, we know that. And the summer's starting, and you have all these family obligations, family trips, vacations, and things along those lines. And uh, what happens is giving goes, we go into a summer slump. But because of the reoccurring giving, because you have plan to do reoccurring giving. We don't see that. We don't feel the hit on that. But we're so thankful for doing that. And so this, the backside explains that whole summer slump thing. And the challenge that we have for you is this. If you're not giving uh, reoccurring giving, if you're not giving on a regular basis to hope, then uh, we want to challenge you to do that and to do reoccurring giving. And it doesn't, you know, it's between you and God what that looks like. And if you know me, if you've been here at all, you know I don't, re- I rarely talk about giving and I feel uncomfortable about it, uh, but I know it's important. Like I can ask people to serve all day long, but to giving their money, it's one of those things where it gets, you know, gets kind of like, that's the part that I kind of cringe on because it, I think there's so much abuse about it. But that being said, when you give to Hope Church, we're able to do ministry and really to do ministry well. Uh, for example, uh, the staff was at the St. Mark's Enrichment Banquet uh, Friday night. And uh, if you weren't here uh, or if you haven't heard, we're going to uh, do a, a year-long partnership with St. Mark's Enrichment uh, and that's going to be, it's already starting up. We're, we're basically gearing up for that to walk with the St. Mark's team to help to mentor the children there, the young people there, to supply some of the needs that they have because we as an organization can quickly uh, do some big things. It's kind of similar if you were here when we, we did the year-long partnership with the Audubon School, one of the most high-risk high schools in Iowa. We partnered with them for a year with uh, Ed, the principal there, and the teachers there 
And I think we had a significant impact on that, that school for the year. We want to do a partnership like that with St. Mark's. Well, the giving helps us to do not just things, but sometimes bigger things that we, we want to do. And this is going to tie into the message where I'm going to go this weekend, uh, because I'm going to talk about prayer, but I'm also going to talk about how we share the gospel. And so with that being said, I just want to say thank you for giving. Thank you for those of you who are part of the 45%, almost 50%. We'd love to get to 65% where you just you say, I'm going to give this amount every week, every month, whatever you decide, uh, to the Ministry of Hope Church and ultimately to God. And you, what you'll find is you'll give more consistently. Uh, you'll find that you'll find that it really makes a difference in your own spiritual life when you know that you're supporting what we're able to do. And then also serving is you find opportunities to serve through that. But I just want to congratulate you and thank you for that and challenge you that if you're not doing that, then I would love you to prayerfully consider doing that because it makes a huge difference. The fact that we don't have to talk about it, the fact that we don't, I don't have to focus on that, it makes such a huge difference because then we can focus on ministry and we don't, we don't have to worry, think about, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this and shuffle things? And we still do that, obviously. But that being said, uh, when you give to Hope, you're giving for, not just for a building because we have t- multiple campuses but you're giving for a ministry that's trying to impact this community. That's ultimately what we're trying to do for the kingdom of God. And uh, we're trying to do the best job that we can with the resources God has given us and is giving us through you. And so if you can give 1% more this coming year, or if you consider giving, reoccurring, boy, that would really help us. And uh, thank you so much. Like I said, we haven't been here. This is new ground, and it's great. Um, but I just want to consider us because sometimes you see that and say, oh, well, I just pumped the brakes. Don't, no, don't do that. <laughs> don't pump the brakes. We're doing so well. Let's keep going because there's some things that uh, we need to do and things that we'd like to do. And, uh, but I just wanted to say thank you for that because it makes a big difference. And it's very encouraging to the leadership here and to the elders. So let's talk a little bit about St. Mark's. Uh, 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 it was a number of years ago. I want to say seven or eight years ago, I heard a story. And it was local. It was somebody uh, from uh, colleges had gotten together, and uh, one college group had tried to wanted to reach out. And it was a Christian college wanting to reach out to another one of the other schools in the community, and they decided to do a meal together. And so they sat down, and and of course the the group that was from a Christian college wanted to share their faith and. One of the people from that group basically sat down across from a person they didn't know and began to share the gospel fairly quickly in the relationship. And they shared and shared and shared. And finally, the, the person that they were sharing with looked at them and said, I don't even know you. And it was like, when I heard the story, I said, yeah, we do that stuff, don't we? We, we're, we're concerned, and we should be. We're concerned about a person's soul. Where are they going to spend eternity? But are we concerned about the person? Do we care about the people? And I think that's why we feel like it's important for us not just to share the gospel in our community, but to share the gospel in our community. And the gospel isn't just taking care of 
the spiritual needs of people. It's handling and working and ministering to the physical needs. Because sometimes people can't listen because they're in so much turmoil and pain and struggling. And sometimes it takes us to come alongside them for a period of time before we even get a chance, an opportunity to voice uh, the gospel. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. The gospel is not just words, it's also actions. And we're going to see that in the passage this weekend. So if you would, turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going through the book of Mark, and we're going to start at verse 35. I'm going to read about 10 verses or so. Follow along with me, and um, just we'll, we'll talk about three lessons. But let me read through the passage first. <clears throat> Here's what it says, Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. Some of you, when you're reading, and you may not be reading the NIV, I'm reading out of the NIV, but some of your translations say he, he was moved with compassion. You say, well, that seems like a different thing. We'll talk about that in just a minute, but just hang on to that for a minute. Uh, So the man says, uh, he begged him, he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, see that you don't tell any, tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So three lessons, three lessons we want to learn from our passage this week, and the first is a lesson on prayer. So if you have a bulletin, you'll see on the front we have the, the blanks there. So the first one is a lesson on prayer. And the interesting thing is that Jesus shows a couple of things about prayer. First, he shows the priority of prayer. That This is uh, something Jesus is building in his popularity. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's doing all of these different things, and people are hearing the news. They want to be healed. They want the power that Jesus has. They want his help. Um, Everyone uh, that he meets has needs. They want something from him. Uh, And when you're faced with the busyness of life, uh, we often find little time to connect with God. Uh, We think... uh, that the present needs are too important to put off, even for a short time. And sometimes we find ourselves rushing from one fire to another. Um, Sometimes we justify and we say, well, it's God's will. It's God's work. (laughs) I'm running from one fire to another, even though I don't have time for you, Father, right? Um, I think of mothers sometimes. Mothers, many times, they just are so 
they're so consumed with children, and they have children. If they work, they have their job and their children. And it seems like they have little or no time, and, and you know, uh, they, it, it's, just a, it's just a difficult thing. But here's what we see Jesus doing. It's very interesting. Now, remember, the context is everybody's after him. Everybody wants a piece of him. Everybody wants to talk to Jesus. They want to be healed. They want demons cast out. We're going to see a leper here in a minute who's going to, who, who's going to come to Jesus. And yet, what do we see Jesus doing? He finds a quiet place to be with his father. And what he's doing is he's preloading his busy times with unhurried, quiet times with his father. So he's hiding. He's literally hiding with his father. He's gotten away from the busyness. He's gotten away from the crowd. He set his cell phone down. No, he didn't set his cell phone down. You know what I get the point. He got rid of all of the, the, the distractions and he got away. And it, what I find is as you see Jesus doing this, he's doing this at times, he's preloading the times where not only is he going to be busy, he's going to be super busy. And, and, and I, my guess is, and as I read the scriptures, it seems as though what Jesus is doing is saying, I will not make it unless I have time with my Father. I will not make it. I absolutely need this. So the more that he's pushed, the more that he's pressed uh, and by the pressures of life, the greater the priority of prayer comes. Look at what uh, the text is saying. It says, early in the morning, while it was still dark, it says, Jesus got, off, got up and went off to a solitary place. So my question to you is this. What do you do when life gets demanding, busy, and unmanageable? In your area of your prayer time with God, what, what do you do? You say, well, I, I need that extra 10 minutes. I need that extra 15 minutes. I need that extra time. If I had that, I could get this done. But Jesus found a quiet place with his father. He found uh, a vital. It find, he found it vital to be alone with his father. Now, here's the point. Here's the point that I want you to see. You and I are weak, and we are flawed people. He was and is the Son of God, and he needed more and more prayer. The busier he got, how much more do we need it? Because none of us is the Son of God. If he needed it, if he relied upon it, if he saw it as vital, then how, who are we? Where do we get off thinking we can get by without it? The answer is we can't. Jesus is the midst of a mission that would change the world and all of eternity. I mean, he's, he's on a mission that's going to change eternity for millions and millions of people. Yet we say, well, I'm too busy. I've got this. I've got that. And thinking, well, no, let's call time out here. Are you on a mission to save millions of people? Their souls forever? For eternity? Is, is, is that the mission you're on? You get my point. You see, if he made such a priority of prayer when he was hounded by the masses, where do we get off with our prayerless lives? And I don't say that to put you down because I'm putting myself down at the same time. That's not my point. It's not to make you feel guilty, but prayerless lives leads to powerless lives. And I think one of the reasons we don't see the power and the presence of God in the church and in our lives is because we're living prayerless lives. 
we're putting it off. We're saying one day, sometime, when life gets easier, when life slows down, what I found is life doesn't slow down. But that's, that's the first thing, the priority of prayer. The second thing that we see of Jesus is the purpose of prayer. The essence of prayer is not give us this day our daily bread. Uh, give us stuff. Oftentimes, prayer, and you can, you can just go back and think about your prayers and what you pray for, and oftentimes you'll find you're praying for this, you're praying for that, you're praying for this, you're asking God for things. And certainly that is certainly a part of prayer, no, no doubt about it. Uh, but this is not what prayer is about. Or the essence of prayer is not, forgive me of my wrongdoings, asking for forgiveness. That, that, that certainly is a part of prayer, right? The essence of prayer, the essence of prayer is being with your Father. Just being with your Father. And knowing that he is with you, knowing that he loves you, knowing that he has a plan for your life, that's the point of prayer, is to grow in your understanding of the unconditional love of the Father for you. That's the reason that you pray. So as we reflect on his love and his acceptance, we find that we don't need human power, we don't need approval, we don't need comfort, we don't need control. Because everything that we need humanly, we find in Him. Where we get into trouble in life is we ask people to give us what only God can. And so if we're not spending time with our Father, if we're not dwelling in His presence, if we're not finding our presence in His, under His shadow, then we're not preparing ourselves for the things that the world is going to hand us. Being with our Father is, helps us reestablish our spiritual base. Jesus did this on a regular basis, and he, his life showed it, and he showed the importance for him. And all I'm saying is, if it was important for him, it has to be important for us. When we have secret prayer, the secret prayer time with our Father, we're set free. We can, uh, we can uh, put our, our failures and our losses in perspective. We can find love, security, significance, and safety in his presence and we are, uh, we are um, continually set free because of prayer. And so oftentimes we think of prayer as something that I have to do, something that I have to say, something I have to reflect upon. In, in reality, the essence of prayer is just being with your Father. Being with your Father. The secret of prayer is having secret prayer. And the lesson is on, in your notes. The essence of prayer is not getting things from God. It's getting God. So understand that. that. That is the essence. Anytime that you're with God, uh, that's prayer. When you reflect upon Him, when you acknowledge Him, when you, you, you understand that He is with you and that He loves you and He has a purpose and a plan for you, that is, that is the essence of prayer. That is what you should be. And so um, we have life groups, and we're going to go deeper with uh, the life groups on prayer this week. So if you're part of a life group, that's what your life group will be studying. The sermon-based life groups are going to go a little deeper and talk about the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, pray like this. He didn't say pray parrot like this, but he said pray like this. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the, a little bit about prayer. And, and, and hopefully it will be a challenge for you this week that you'll grow. You'll take some steps in your prayer life. But let's look at the second lesson. And this is where we tie in to our partnership with St. Mark's and our Audubon and some of the things that we do not only as a church, but hopefully as individuals. And that is a lesson about, on the gospel. 
So in our passage, Jesus is confronted. Now, it's interesting, too, because Jesus doesn't stay in the, in the place he's at. In fact, he says, okay, I've done some miracles here. Now we're going to go somewhere else. We're going somewhere else. I'm done. And, and, and the interesting thing is, why is he going somewhere else? Are there not still needy people where he is? Absolutely. And the point is, Jesus didn't heal everyone where he was. Hmm. He didn't heal every sick people. He didn't cast out every demon. He, he just... But why is he going to another place? Well, he tells us in the text. Let's just follow along a little bit. So in our passage, um, he's confronted with a leper. And in leprosy in those days was not just a disease. You know, if you think of leprosy as being a physical disease, it was. But it had much more incredible implications than that. It was a condition that affected a person physically, socially, emotionally, and every aspect of their lives was just absolutely dominated by this disease. Physically, very straightforward. Uh, there were some forms of leprosy that weren't contagious, but uh, many of the forms were. And so this man, I assume, and from the text, it seems as though that's what's going on. He has this very contagious form of, of leprosy. And leprosy was the disease that literally eats you alive. Your flesh begins to fall off. You, 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 you basically just lose parts of your body and you, you ultimately die. But that, even though that sounds horrible, that may not be the worst part of it because not only physically was it destroying you, but socially you were banned from your friends and family and from society. You were cast out of your community. <clears throat> you were an outcast. Leprosy was contagious and there was a threat to community. And you were not allowed to go anywhere near an inhabited place. You had to stay either in the desert or the wilderness alone. You were alone. Your family couldn't have contact with you. It was too dangerous. You couldn't come into community. You were alone. You, and not only that, you know, there's a number of studies, and you probably have heard this before, there are studies that say that children, babies especially, newborns, cannot live without touch. They have to be touched. They have to be held. They, they, they did a study, a number of studies, and they showed that babies that, are not, that do not have touch will not last. Lepers had to live without touch. Absolute isolation, emotional isolation. If they ever came near a group of people, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. They had to yell at the top of their lungs to warn the people so the people would know and keep their distance. I don't think when you had, when you had leprosy, you didn't know what a hug felt like anymore. You didn't know what a touch felt like. You didn't know what a kiss felt like. That was, that was for another time, if ever. Spiritually, spiritually, People who, who uh, had leprosy, other people who didn't thought, well, you have leprosy because God is judging you. You must have done something to deserve it. This is on you. And so in a sense, they said uh, they thought leprosy was a spiritual punishment that God was giving them. Um, he comes to Jesus, which is risky. What is he doing? He's coming into community. He's coming into the presence of Jesus, and he bows down to Jesus, and he, he's within striking distance of Jesus, and he says, if you are willing, heal me. 
Now, here's, when I read it, I made kind of a quick reference to it. So the quick reference was that uh, Jesus, either, depending on what translation you look at it, the NIV translation, the New International Version, NIV, says that Jesus was indignant. Now, we're not told what he was indignant about. Was he indignant about the man's lack of faith? Or was he indignant because he saw what sin was doing to his perfect creation and the people that he loved, that it was eating this man alive? And did, did it make him indignant? Uh, when he came to the tomb of Lazarus, said he wept. Well, why was he weeping? Because he knew he was going to raise Lazarus. So was he weeping because Lazarus was dead? Or was he weeping because he saw the destruction of what, where the world was headed because of sin? Well, that's an argument and a discussion for another day. But some translations, uh, the NIV says that he was indignant. Other translations say that he was moved with compassion. The English Standard Version, the version we used to use here, the NLT, the New Living Translation, the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, those translations all say that he was moved with compassion. Now, we don't have time right now to discuss why are those translations different because they seem polar opposites. They seem very different, right? So I'm not going to solve that for you tonight, this weekend. If you're listening online, you're listening at the Rosha campus, I'm not going to solve that for you. But here's what I will do. I'll direct you to a blog article that I wrote that kind of breaks that down a little bit. Now, if you go to that blog article that I'm that I just public that's just going to be published, if you go there, it's a little geeky, it's a little deep, it's into the you know you're going to be going into the weeds here, and so prepare yourself. It's short, but it's it, there's some things you you may see there. And you go, whoa, I didn't know that, and it's just the beginning of a discussion on it. But I'll give you my best guess and my best understanding of what where we're going on that path. We don't have time to do it now, but go to the blog. It should be up, and you can read through that discussion. I don't want to spend time on it anymore right now. The point I want to address this weekend is that the man comes to Jesus as his last hope for healing. He's saying, this is it, Jesus. You're, you're my last chance. You're my last hope. And Jesus does a number of amazing things. Look at what he does. But before we do that, I want to talk about this whole idea of the gospel. And I want to bring this this concept together of what Jesus is doing here. Before I said, what Jesus was doing here at this point was he is healing people. And I said, well, he didn't heal everybody. But then he says, come on, we need to go somewhere else. And, I, and you think, well, why? There's enough people. We should continue healing people here. Why are we going to go over there? And the answer is, he says, because I have more people that I need to preach to. We'll see that. So let's look at this. So, so how do we share the gospel today? Jesus heals the man, and as he, as he has healed many people, but he doesn't stop there. Notice what he says. He says this, and this is the quote that I want to focus on for a minute because it kind of gives us a ground, a basis for our discussion here. He says, let us go somewhere else to the new, nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So what Jesus is saying is, I've already preached the gospel here. People have heard the gospel here, and I've healed people here. But people over there haven't heard the gospel. The point isn't that there aren't people here that need to be healed, and 
people here, and I, you know, I decided I'm going to value those people more than these. No, he's saying they haven't heard the gospel yet. They haven't heard the gospel yet. What I'm saying is that Jesus offered a multidimensional salvation. He was concerned not just about the physical needs of the people. He was concerned about the spiritual needs of the people. And I think that's what makes Jesus so amazing. He's concerned about not just about healing the man who is a leper, but he's concerned about the man's soul. He's not just concerned about the people who have demons. He's concerned about the people, their soul. And and even the people who are healthy, he's concerned about their souls, not just their bodies. So the point I want you to see is this, that if we bring the gospel to people today, we must minister to both the physical and the spiritual needs of people. It's not one, both, it's not either or. Now what I see, here's what I've noticed in churches. I've noticed that there are churches that are word without deed churches, words without deeds churches. And those are the churches, they tend to be a little bit, they're good on doctrine, they're good on Bible teaching, but they, be, they, they can become fundamental, sectarian, or legalistic. They put the emphasis on saving souls. They're looking for conversions. And their, role, their thing is, let's just get them to heaven and let's move on. Let's just get them to heaven. And remember I began with a discussion about this young person who was trying to share the gospel with another young person. And this basically, they were saying, let's just get this person to heaven. And the other person said, you don't even know my name. You don't even know my name. So sometimes the emphasis is put on pouring, uh, they put almost no emphasis on pouring themselves out to meet the social, physical, economic needs of the community, regardless of what the people believe. They just want to dump the gospel payload and move on. I don't want us to be that type of church. One of the reasons why we're doing these partnerships, community-based partnerships, is because we want to minister to our whole community. We want to earn the right to be heard. We want to, sometimes it takes an arm around a person's shoulder before they're really ready to listen to you about this gospel that you have. And you'll know you're balancing it out right when you see a need and you meet the need of a person and you haven't even spoken the gospel. And then all of a sudden somebody will say to you, why are you doing this? And you begin to share with them the gospel. And they go, yep, I see that. I see something in you that, that I need. And you have an open door to share the gospel. So that's word with, without deeds. And sometimes evangelical churches can become those type of churches. We're only concerned about your soul and you go into heaven. We're really not concerned about your social, your, your economic, your physical situation. But the opposite, there's, there's other churches out there, and they're deeds without the word churches. And these churches tend to be more mainline, liberal, and they put on their emphasis on doing good works. They're good at meeting the social and economic needs of the people around them. But here's the problem. They will never ask a person to repent. They will never tell a person that they're, in, they're a sinner in need of a Savior. They'll never say Jesus is the only way. They'll never say that because they don't want to offend. They'll never say to a person, they'll never invite a person to give their life to Jesus. 
Do you see the difference? And you can think of churches where you, you kind of see that going on. You, you see the more uh, word without deed, but you also see the deed without the word. And those are the two sides of the, of the, of the equation. And what I'm saying is we need to be both and because that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go over there and heal more people, but I'm also going to preach the gospel. It's not one or the other, it's both and. And I think we have to hear that, and I think we have to understand that. Gospel-driven people, uh, churches and people, love people, they love God, uh, and they love God, they love people like God loves people. And they care about the needs of people. They, they, they want to minister to the whole person. They want to minister to the economic, social, emotional, and spiritual needs of people. They want to minister to the whole person. And they also want them to repent and turn to Jesus. And they're not afraid to say that. Gospel-driven churches excel in meeting the physical and spiritual needs of people. They want to minister to the whole person. I hope this is the type of church that we're becoming. And I hope this is the type of Christian that you are becoming. That you say, you know, it's not either or, it's both and. We have to minister to the whole person. And sometimes a person is so hungry, they just need to eat before they're ready to listen. And sometimes a person is such, such a, a terrible situation, they need, they need help, they need encouragement, they need somebody to walk with them a little bit before they're ready to hear about the good news. But we don't, we don't neglect telling them the good news. Here's the, here's the lesson. Sharing the good news means no words without deeds and no deeds without words. And how that plays out is different in every situation. That's the art of it. <laughs> There's no formula. It's an art. <laughs> Some people you'll meet and they're ready for, to hear the gospel. And some other people, it's going to be years of just plowing and seeding and watering and preparing. And then you pray that one day they'll hear the gospel, but you're with them. And they know you're a friend. Whether they trust Jesus or not, you know they're in it. you're in there with them. Here's the last lesson. We'll finish with this one. A lesson of faith. So the man takes a big risk, as I said before. He comes to Jesus, and um, he makes his request, and he's been banned from the community. He hasn't yelled out, unclean, unclean, unclean. He's just kind of walked up to Jesus, fallen at his feet, and says, you're my last hope. Please heal me if you can. And uh, the man just wanted to be made whole. And Jesus, interestingly enough, whether he showed indignation or compassion, that's a, another discussion. The point is he healed him. Immediate, and it says immediately the man was healed. Now, here's what I found. I found people who want Jesus, but they want Jesus. They kind of say, oh, okay. I, in other words, I think what they do is they say, I want Jesus, but I kind of want him as a part of my life. I have this, and I have this, and I have this, and I'd love to fit Jesus in, and I think I have room to fit him into my life, and I'd like him to be part of my life, but I'm not really sure if he's going to fit. So answer a few questions. Can I continually be who I have been, 
Is it going to, is he going to ask me a lot of things to do? Do I have, is there going to really have to be a lot of changes? And, and what does that look like down the road? And, and, and in essence, you really can't say, oh, well, it'll look like this, and this will happen, and this should happen. And you really don't know how God is going to lead a person. But, the, but, but essentially what they're saying is they want what Jesus can give them more than they really want Jesus. In other words, they want the perks, but they're not really sure about the whole come follow me. They want to hang on to their old way of life. Um, There's certain things they don't want to change. They're not willing to put themselves unconditionally under his lordship. They still want to run their lives as if nothing ever really changed. But gospel faith means coming to Jesus with no demands, no requirements, and no bargaining. You give your life to him because he gave his life to you. You realize, like the man, I have no bargaining power at all. In fact, if you don't heal me, I'm probably dead. That's the bargaining power. He had no bargaining power. He says, you're my last hope. It's like the criminal on the cross next to Jesus. You're my last hope. I don't have any hope. And so when you come to Jesus, you have to come with no strings attached, and you have to come saying, you're my last hope. If you don't heal me, I'm dead. I'm done. But notice what Jesus does. Three things. First, he warns the man. He says, don't tell anybody what I did, but go to the priest, and uh, instead, of course, what does the man, the leper, do? He does exactly the opposite. He goes and blabs all over the place. But he's a wonderful example of all of us. As a result, the leper and Jesus have changed places. Do you notice that? Because of the leper's sin, you know, now the leper who used to have and used to be in the lonely places is in the city, and he's talking to everyone. Jesus, who used to be able to go into the city, now has to go into the wilderness and hide because his time has not yet come. The second thing is he warns the man, and the man doesn't listen to his warning. The second thing he does is he sends the man. He sends the man to do all the ceremony, uh, ceremonial washings or offerings that uh, Moses required of his law. When a leper was cleansed or healed, they were required to go to the priest, and the priest was basically, the best way to put it, he was the public health officer. He was the one to say, yes, he's healed, he's clean, he can be in community now. Without that conference of the the priest, uh, he was was still uh, a leper. So Jesus sends him to the priest, and the priest would certify that the leper had really been healed, and that uh, once he was certified by the priest, um, he'd be welcomed back into the community. But here's the interesting thing, and maybe you missed this. The interesting thing about this is Jesus tells the man, be quiet. He doesn't. He says, go to the priest. But the interesting thing is what he does is Jesus touches the man. He touches him. Now, by touching the man, Jesus would have made himself, not only would have opened him up to leprosy, but it would also, it would also, it would also require Jesus to go to the the priest and have the priest confer whether he was clean or not. You can read that 
your Bible any way you want. Jesus has no intention of going to the priest because he doesn't have to go to the priest. The point is, Jesus didn't offer himself to the high priest because he was the definitiveness of cleanliness. He was clean. He was holy. He was without sin. By every rule, Jesus should go and present himself and do all the ceremonial washings to become clean, but he didn't. And he doesn't. Jesus is clean. He is the one who brings the washing. He doesn't need to be washed. Isn't that what John said when he baptized him? He says, I need to be washed by you. (laughs) I'm the one that's dirty, not you. And Jesus says, let it be. Let it be. Here's what I find. Today, we try to clean our lives up by ourselves. We work hard at it. We try to be very good so that one day we'll be clean enough for heaven. We do that. I go to church. I do this. I do this. I do this. Hopefully, I've cleaned my life up. I've done enough good things. But here's the thing. What we have to understand is we are lepers because of our sin. We need to find a cleansing. We're all lepers, and we can't heal ourselves. So we're cast out of the community of God who is holy and clean. You see, in the end, we're the outcasts. We're the lepers. When we go to the story of the leper, we should say, that was me. I was the one who was leper. I was the outcast. I was the one, in, 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 in comparison to God and his holiness, I was the outcast. I was the lost one. I was unclean. But Jesus comes to us and he says, I am clean. I will cleanse you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. I don't care how bad you think it is. I don't care what has been done to you. I don't care how inadequate or ashamed you feel about yourself. If you will come to me, you will find cleansing. You will be uh, healed because I am clean. The gospel accounts tell us that at the end of Jesus' life, he was crucified outside the gate on the garbage dump. He was taken to the place of lepers. He became unclean so that we could be cleansed. He was excluded from the community so that we could be welcomed into the community of God. For us, he did that. Scripture says this, God made him sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There was a transfer that took place. Not only were your sins forgiven, but you received his cleanliness, his cleansing. And it's just like the leper who came to Jesus, who was full of leprosy and unclean. When he walked away that day, when he went to the priest, the priest says, you are now clean. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, who went and was ultimately clean, but took our uncleanliness, our sin upon himself, and gives us his cleanliness, when we stand before the Father, and the Father sees us, he sees the cleanliness of his Son on our behalf. He took our place. He took our uncleanliness so that we could become clean forever. Here's the point. True faith relies on the cleansing of Jesus, not on my good works. One last final comment I want to make here. Peter says this. He says in verse 37, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. 
And you know that's true. Everyone is looking for Jesus. Many people don't know they're looking for Jesus. But what they're looking for is they're looking for purpose in their lives. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for acceptance. They want to believe that their life isn't an accident. It's not just something that's random in a random universe. They want to believe that their life has a purpose and a meaning, and it doesn't end at the grave. And in a sense, what they do is they grasp on to anything that they can find that will give their lives meaning. If you don't find Jesus, what you'll do is you'll try to find a replacement. You'll, find, you'll look for someone or something other than Jesus. But here's the thing. We're all looking for something to give our lives meaning and purpose, something to give us a sense of satisfaction and significance and security. But there's only one person who can give us what we truly need, and his name is Jesus. He's the, only, he's the one who made your life. He's the one who gave, came to save your life. He gave his life for you, and when you give your life to him, you'll find the life you're looking for. And I don't know where you're at this weekend. If you're listening online or Rosha campus, I don't know where you're at. Certainly we care about your physical needs, but we care about your soul. And I want you to know that when you come to Jesus, you'll find the cleansing, you'll find the purpose, you'll find the meaning, you'll find satisfaction, you'll find significance, you'll find security, and you'll only find it in Jesus. You'll never find it in uh, the person you married or the, you know, the people that you're, are your friends. They can, you can't ask people to give you what only God can. Jesus, the man came to Jesus and said, unless you heal me, I'm dead. And we need to come to the cross and we say, unless you save me, Jesus, I'm dead. But when you come to him and when you realize he gave his life to you and you give your life to him, you'll find life. You'll find cleansing. You'll find forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, that's what we need, every one of us. We need cleansing. We need forgiveness. We need a savior. And thank you that Jesus is that Savior. May we come to you as the man came to you without any hope, without any pretenses, without any conditions. He just came and said, Jesus, heal me, forgive me, give me life. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And Father, when we think of the cross, we think of Jesus who, who knew no sin, took on our sin and gave us his righteousness, his cleanliness, his forgiveness. If there's anyone here who has not received that, may today, may right now be the day that they pray, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm lost, and unless you help me, I'm dead. But thank you because you gave your life for me. I can live forever and have my sins forgiven and walk away clean. Thank you, Jesus. And if somebody's prayed a prayer like that, Father, I pray they'd let somebody know I prayed to ask Jesus to be my Savior, not just a Savior, but my Savior. For the rest of us, Father, help us to take something from your word and plant it into our hearts that it might grow some important part of our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.